Uh, we find ourselves in week three of a four-week series titled Seeing Christmas. Uh, we are, are looking back to the Christmas story in the days following and considering how characters uh, in this story uh, reflect Jesus or point people to Jesus. We're examining uh, their hearts and their lives and trying to glean lessons uh, from their life that will hopefully be used by God uh, to impact ours. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the wise men, the magi. Uh, last week, uh, we, uh, we focused on a, a different character from uh, Luke chapter 2 named Simeon. He was a righteous and a devout man. And this week, we're going to think together about Anna. And specifically, I want us to think really about three things. I want us to ask the question, uh, who is Anna? Who is Anna? And I want us to consider what we learn about her character. What do we learn about the character of Anna? And then I want us to think together as a church family about uh, what this passage teaches us about dealing with disappointment. That last idea may seem a bit strange after hearing the three verses that Billy read this morning. Uh, and yet I think these three verses speak loudly uh, to us in how we as the people of God uh, deal with disappointment in life. Uh, there are so many people both here uh, around the world who look forward to Christmas, whose hearts are full of anticipation and longing and hope and joy. Uh, we get excited when Christmas comes around. We wear crazy costumes and sweaters, all good things, and yet the reality is the holiday season is difficult for many people. And it's difficult for many people because all of us have longings and hopes and desires for life that go unmet. Right? All of us can probably look back to a time in life where we wanted things to go a certain way and they didn't. In other words, all of us have experienced disappointment. And so I think it is important for us as the people of God to prepare our hearts for when those times come so that we might know how to respond. So first, who is Anna? Believe it or not, in these three verses that Billy read this morning, it is just packed with information about who Anna is and what she uh, was like. It says that Anna was uh, a prophetess. She was only a handful of women referred to in all of the Bible as a prophetess. Her name is from an Old Testament name, Hannah, that means favor or grace. Uh, again, she was a prophetess, according to Luke uh, chapter 2. Uh, other women in the Bible who are referred to as a prophetess include Miriam, Moses' sister, uh, Deborah, who was a judge. You may remember her from the book of Judges. Huldah, who validated the lost scrolls of Scripture, for King Josiah, and then Philip's four unmarried daughters in Acts. There are specifically two women that are talked about as prophetesses in the New Testament. Uh, Anna is one of them, and the other is Jezebel. Now listen, if you're familiar with Scripture and the story of Scripture, you know that these women could not be on opposite, could not be more on opposite ends of the spectrum. Anna embodies devotion and integrity and spiritual discipline, and God blesses her at the birth of Jesus. Jezebel embodies, well, like darkness and immorality. Very different ladies. And so we're going to see this play out in Anna's life. We're told that she is a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel, 
of the tribe of Asher. This is a big deal that Anna was a prophetess because back in the Old Testament a book of Samuel, there are three offices that are established. There is the office of king, priest, and prophet. And so Anna is referred to as a prophetess in the Old Testament. And she's referred to a prophetess after 400 years of essentially radio silence, right? There are these silent years where at the end of the Old Testament, people are waiting with anticipation for the coming of a king. And then Anna speaks. Uh, we know that her dad was Fenuel. He is a man from the tribe of Asher. His name means the face of God, which is fascinating because here is Anna seeing the face of God the Son. We are told that Anna's father was from the tribe of Asher, which is one of the ten northern tribes. Uh, This tribe, like all of the tribes in northern and southern uh, Israel or part of the kingdom, experienced great successes and many failures. But it's interesting because Asher is spoken of in Genesis 49 and in in Deuteronomy chapter 33, uh, claiming that the descendants of Asher would actually one day bless kings. And when you think about that, read blessing uh, King Jesus. Uh, Anna's long life uh, connects her to the tribe of Asher, and her age is significant. Uh, We are told uh, from Scripture that Anna was, uh, she was advanced in years, which I think back in the day was a politically correct way of saying she was old. Uh, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, uh, and then as a widow until she was 84. So Anna was married for seven years before she became a widow, and she remained a widow for the rest of her life. Most translations of Scripture say that Anna was 84 years old, when she met Jesus. But it is also possible to translate the text to mean that Anna had lived 84 years after her husband died, which some people suggest is actually a more likely translation. This would have meant that Anna was over 100 years old if she was married when she was roughly around 13, 14 years old, which is common, which was common during that day. Uh, Either way, Anna spent most of her life without a husband and dedicated her life to the Lord and ministered before the Lord in the temple. And so I want us to think together about her character. Uh, What do we learn from these verses about the kind of woman uh, that she was? Uh, The second half of Luke chapter 2, verse 37 reads, She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of uh, Jerusalem. The first observation that we notice about Anna is that she was devoted. Uh, She was uh, devoted. Specifically, she was devoted uh, to God. Scripture describes her as someone who did not depart from the temple. She dwelled in the temple. The text tells us she did not leave or she did not depart the temple. 
Now, many people kind of debate back and forth what this meant. Some people suggest that she just was at the temple a lot. You know, like uh, back in the day when people uh, said, whenever the church doors were open, my family was there. You know, maybe you grew up in a tradition where you had a Sunday morning service and a Sunday evening service and a Wednesday service, and occasionally a missionary would come into town and there was a service for the missionary and any number of special services. And your parents went to all of them, all of them. Like whenever the church doors were open, you were there. Now, some people read this passage and go, Anna was like that but going to the temple. She just was there all the time. And other people suggest, no, she, she lived there. Like she did not depart from the temple. Uh, the temple for her was her home. Either way, regardless of how we interpret the passage, uh, this much is clear. Anna was uh, someone who was devoted to the Lord. She was devoted uh, to his house. She was devoted uh, to the presence of God. And there isn't a whiff of legalism when Scripture describes her as being devoted. Like sometimes when we think about someone who's in church all the time, we might think of them as a little bit odd or strange or weird. Uh, Depending on our own church experience, we may accuse someone of being a Pharisee or a little legalistic and always wanting uh, to be at church. But we don't see any of that in Anna. There isn't this sense of of her trying to check boxes. There's no indication that she's jumping through spiritual hoops. There's no sense when we read this passage that she's trying to impress other people. I mean, you almost get the impression that she doesn't care about what other people think about her. She just wants to be near God. And I love that about her. I love that about her devotion to the Lord. That she didn't care about the voices. She didn't care for much about what people perhaps said about her. Um, Anna longed for God. And she longed to be in his house. When you think about your own relationship with the Lord, do you know if it could be said of you that you are a devoted to God? Not in, a, not in a legalistic sense, not in a, a way where you make other people feel guilty because you're more committed than they are, but just in the sense that you love the Lord and you want to be with him and you want to be near his people. Like, do you ever think midweek about how excited you are to be with God's people on Sunday? Do you ever look at your calendar and think, man, I'm so, I'm so excited that I get uh, to be in God's house In our case, the barn, God's barn on Sunday morning. Uh, Anna Anna loved the Lord. She just wanted to be near him. She was devoted to uh, to God's house and to God's presence. The second thing that we notice about her character is that she was a worshiper. And specifically, Anna worshipped with fasting. Scripture says of her, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. I want us to think about those two practices. I want us to think about fasting, and I want us to think about prayer. Uh, It makes sense if she was in the the temple a lot, or if she lived in the temple, that she would be committed to worship. I mean, that makes sense. But what's interesting is when Scripture describes her worship, it connects uh, her worship with fasting. 
Um, I don't know about you, but I think we've lost this spiritual practice in our day and age. I haven't uh, come into contact with a whole lot of people whose uh, life is marked by fasting. Now, part of that is probably because when we do it, maybe we don't advertise it, and that, that's actually a good thing. I don't know if we should. But there's something about this spiritual practice that reminds us of our dependence and our need for God that is actually a good thing. There's something about making a decision um, to, to not eat, whether it's for a meal or two or a day or multiple days, uh, that cause us to feel the pangs of hunger and to remind us uh, that we need God. It seems like more often than not, we position ourselves in life to be able to say yes to anything and everything that we want to. Like we want to say yes to the food that we eat. We want to say yes to the entertainment that we pursue. We want to say yes to the opportunities that we have as a people. And fasting is a way of kind of stepping back and and saying to ourselves, no, I'm going to intentionally say no. And I'm going to experience a little discomfort in hopes that my discomfort will drive me to God. And I I don't know if we do that enough. And again, this is an, it's not a legalistic thing. It's not something that we do to twist God's arm. You know, we're not trying to earn his favor. We're not going out of our way to cause other people to have this perception of us that we're super spiritual. We just have this posture before the Lord. God, I, I need you and I want you. And so I'm going to say no to some basic needs that I have in my life because I want to think about you, and I want to think about my need for you. Um, I would love to see us grow in this area, particularly next year. We're going to do a series in the summertime talking about spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines in June, and fasting is going to be one of those spiritual practices that we talk about. And I just wonder, like over the holidays, you know, as we're Uh, tucking away a few Christmas cookies and going to the holiday parties. Like, I wonder what it would look like if we uh, just paused and uh, started to think about and dream a little bit about what life would look like if this became a regular practice in our life. Like, maybe we make an intentional decision not to have a meal and instead uh, take the 10 12 or $14 that we would spend uh, on lunch and, and give it to the needy or give it to those uh, who don't have resources uh, for food? Like what if just this became part of who we were? Again, not, not to show off, not to earn God's favor, not to twist his arm so he answers yes to one of our prayer requests, but just to remind us that we are a dependent people and we really need God. Uh, Anna's worship was marked by fasting. Secondly, it was also marked by a daily prayer. She did not depart from the temple, but she worshiped with fasting and prayer night and day. Uh, Anna's life was marked by prayer, a conversation uh, with God. We're told that she uh, prayed day and night. This was just part of who she was and what she did. And this makes sense. I mean, scripture calls us to pray without ceasing. This idea of having an ongoing dialogue or conversation Uh, with God. I think about this because oftentimes throughout the day, I have countless thoughts. There are things that cross my mind, sometimes thousands of them. In fact, I recently did a little research. How many thoughts does the average person have a day? And one study that was done in 2020 showed that the average person has 6,000 thoughts per day. And I thought, boy, that, that seems like a lot. 
And then I did a little more research, and there was a study that was recently done that suggested the average person has 60 thoughts, or 60,000 thoughts per day. And I just thought, well, I, I don't know like how they went from 6,000 to 60,000. I mean, that sounds like overthinking to me. But uh, needless to say, we have countless thoughts every day. And so I wonder what it would look like if we just took those thoughts and we brought them before the Lord. Instead of thinking about them, instead of overthinking them, uh, instead of worrying about them, we just brought them before the Lord as we had them. And so as we live our day, when we wake up in the morning and we're anxious because of everything that we have to do, instead of thinking about everything that we have to do and immediately getting to it and getting after it, we just go before the Lord and we say, God, I'm really anxious right now. Would you help me? God, I have a presentation to give today and I'm really scared. Would you be with me? Lord, there's a, there's a, there's a work thing that I'm trying to finish up. I really need your help. I feel in over my skis. Would you help me? God, I'm really struggling to be a good mom or a good dad right now. I'm incredibly impatient. I'm, I'm self-focused. I'm self-absorbed. God, would you humble my heart? Would you help me serve my kids? God, I'm struggling financially. There, there's more going out than coming in, and I need your help. Would you, would you please show up? God, I need your grace as I think about spending time with family this holiday season. Would you extend grace and mercy to me? God, the same grace that you give to me and the same mercy that you extend to me, would you help me extend it with others? God, I'm sick. I don't feel well. I have things to do. Would you give me the strength that I need? Lord, I'm having a hard time communicating with my spouse. I don't feel like we're on the same page. Things are really difficult right now. Would you please help me? I don't know what you think about throughout the course of the day. I don't know how many thoughts go through your mind, whether it's 600 or 6,000 or 60,000. I really have no idea, but something tells me there are a lot. And I just wonder what it would look like if our lives were marked by, by a steady and consistent and steadfast prayer, conversations uh, with God. When thoughts enter into our minds, like prayers go up before the God of the universe. Anna was a prayer warrior. Uh, she strikes me as the kind of woman who you wanted to be on her prayer list. You know, do you know anyone like that? You know, you, you know, like everyone has equal access before the Lord, but occasionally you meet someone where you're like, hey, if you could, uh, you know, put me on your list, I would appreciate it. You know, you just feel like they could, you know, bend God's ear a little bit. You know, Anna strikes me as, as someone like that. She worships through fasting. She worshiped uh, through prayer. Anna Anna's life was also marked by gratitude. Anna's, uh, Anna was a grateful woman. Verse 38 uh, says, In coming up to that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak uh, to him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. I love this about her. Her life was marked uh, by gratitude and thanksgiving. One of, the, one of the marks of the Christian life is thankfulness. Uh, one of the litmus tests or a way to take our spiritual temperature in the Christian life is to consider how grateful uh, we are. Uh, are we more apt to complain, 
to focus in on what isn't going well or what we don't have or what we wish was different? Or are we a people marked by thanksgiving? Oftentimes, complaining is a sign of a disappointed heart. Now, I'm not suggesting there aren't times in life when we face circumstances that are difficult or challenging and we are disappointed with where we are or the world around us or something that's happening uh, to us. I'm not suggesting that that is uh, not part of life in a fallen world. Uh, But I wonder if people who know you best would say that you are one who gives thanks often. Is your life marked by gratitude? When someone asks you, how are you doing? Uh, Do you think about something that you wish was different? Or do you start with gratitude and thanksgiving? Like I love, or I would love, if we were a church who just naturally uh, would give thanks. Someone asks us how you're doing, and you go, man, I'm just thankful to the Lord uh, for his true promises. We don't have to be weird about it, but like just, Lord, thank you so much for your steadfast love and faith. I'm so thankful that God is providing for our family right now. Things are good. I'm so grateful for the work that God is doing in the hearts and lives of my kids. I'm, I'm so grateful to the Lord for my relationships right now. I'm so grateful to the Lord that I have a, a good church family to worship with on Sunday morning. I'm so grateful. Like fill in the blank. Is your life marked uh, by uh, gratitude? Or do you oftentimes find yourself uh, complaining or disappointed? When life doesn't go your way, are you still able uh, to give thanks? Are you a thankful person? Uh, there was a, a children's book that I used to read to my kids when they just were little. And it was a Veggie Tales book. And there was this line in uh, the book that said, whenever I get to complaining for long, I try to remember that complaining is wrong. And I love that line. I used to read that book like I was a pirate. I don't know why. I just I thought it would be entertaining for the kids. And so I would, like in my best pirate voice, you know, I I would say to them, you know, whenever I get to complaining for long, I try to remember complaining is wrong. And uh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, and that's, you know, I I get it. It's kind of silly. But, you know, I think it's true. You know, I I think it's true. I think about God's kindness and his goodness that he's shown to us, to me, I'll speak for myself. And I mean, it, it's so easy to, to focus in on the things that aren't going the way that I want them to go instead of just having a heart of gratitude. Can I challenge you this morning? When someone asks you, how are you doing? What would it look like if, if you would begin your reply uh, with thanksgiving? Just, just share something that you're thankful for. Uh, with a friend or a family member or a colleague. Uh, Anna's life was marked by gratitude, and Anna's life was also marked by boldness. It says in verse 38, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She gave thanks to God, uh, and she spoke of him uh, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. She, she spoke God's name. She told people about Jesus. This is something that marked her life. Like she, so was, she was so excited to be able to share the good news. Like have you ever received good news before? Do you ever have news that was so good that you just had to share it with someone? 
Maybe God met a need for you and you're just going, oh, this is amazing. I need to tell someone about it. Maybe you think back to when you were younger and you invited someone out on a date and they said yes and it like blew your mind. You're like, oh, they said yes. And so you tell your friends, you're like, hey, she said yes or he said yes. You're just so excited because you have news that you can't keep to yourself. It just has to be shared. I get this impression with Anna that she just was so full of gratitude in her heart that she had to tell anyone, anyone who uh, would listen, anyone who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, that hope had come, uh, that hope had a name, and his name uh, was Jesus. A boldness marked her life. Scripture indicates that she kept on telling people about Jesus. When you think about your life, when is the last time you had told someone about Jesus? When's the last time you you shared about Jesus with a family member or a friend or a colleague or, or someone you had just met? When's the last time that you tried to stumble your way through a conversation and change the subject so you could talk spiritually with someone about things that matter for all of eternity? Uh, When's the last time that you've been uncomfortable in a conversation and walked away and thought to yourself, you know, maybe I shared too much instead of walking away from a conversation thinking to yourself, I think I shared too little. Like what what would it look like to, to live with a supernatural boldness to tell other people about Christ. Here's an easy way and really a simple way, and it's kind of cheating uh, to do that over the course of the next week. When you came in this morning, uh, you noticed a little card on your chair. There likely was this little card and even a little business-sized card with an invite uh, to our Christmas Eve service next Sunday. We have a cafe at 10 and we have a service at 1030. Like my challenge to you this week is to be bold and to take this little card and give it maybe to someone you know or maybe someone you've just met and invite them to come to church next Sunday for our Christmas Eve service. Maybe after church today when you go to your favorite restaurant and you sit down and you're done eating and the bill comes out and you pay your bill, maybe leave this little business card uh, with an invitation for someone to come to the service. Now, a little, little caveat, if you go out to eat after church today and the check comes and you pay for your check and do not leave a tip, a good one, and you leave this instead, we're going to ask you to leave. Like you're going to go, we're going to send you to Hickory Grove or Elevate. We're going to sell, like we're going to, you can't come back. Like you can't do that. Like don't, don't, don't put in the gospel track that looks like the $20 bill and stiff your server, right? Give them a 20 and then give them an invitation, right? So this is like an easy way. It's just, you're, you're not, you don't have to share the gospel. You don't have to explain the story of scripture. It's just a step, right? So maybe a step for you is I want to, I want to invite you to come. When we look at Anna's life, we realize that she was a worshiper. Her life was marked by fasting. Her life was marked by prayer. Her heart was full of gratitude and she was, she was a bold woman for Christ, I said this morning that I wanted us to think about who Anna is or who she was. I wanted to consider her character, and we've done that. And then I wanted us to think about how Anna responded in the face of disappointment. This is no small thing. I'm not suggesting that this is the main thing in the text, but I do believe it's something that's worth considering. How did Anna respond in the face 
of disappointment. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, Anna experienced what we would describe today as a traumatic event. Anna lived with trauma. She had a severe struggle, pain, disappointment, a heartache in her life. At probably the age of 20 or 21, somewhere in there, we don't know for sure, Anna lost her husband. Her husband died. She became a widow. And what that means is that she experienced a deep and profound loss. I understand we don't know about their relationship. We don't know where they met. We don't know how they spent their time together. We don't know about the struggles they had. I understand that. Uh, but, but Anna lost her husband. And she was a, she was a young woman. Right, so she experienced the grief of that. And then she lived another 60, 70, 80 years. And so she experienced and lived through a broken heart. She probably knew what it was like in life to, to have random thoughts where she would remember her husband again, you know, times that they shared together, conversations that they had places that she went or things or sounds that she heard, smells. I can remember flash back to the husband of her youth. Uh, to add insult to injury, her opportunity to have children is more than likely over. Of course, we don't know that for sure, but likely it was a reality. In addition, her income, her provision, her protection is completely gone. I can understand for a woman in this culture in particular, she would have had a long and a difficult life. And so what does uh, she do? Because she was not set up for success. What does she do? Does she blame God? Does she wallow in self-pity? Does she string together one bad decision after the next in hopes of making her pain go away? Does she allow her very real tragedy to color her view of God and life? Uh, Responding negatively to what happened to her would have been understandable from a human perspective. Like Anna could have very easily uh, shaken her fist at God and said, this is not fair. I did not sign up for this. I mean, she did nothing wrong. And she lost her husband. And regardless of how she would have responded, people would have understood. Maybe they would not have agreed with how she responded, but they would understand. But Anna doesn't do any of those things. She doesn't do any of those things. Instead, she runs to God. Right? She runs to God's house. She goes to the temple. She knows that God is there Her home, as she knows it, is gone. And God houses her. God the Father was her parent. Jesus spiritually was near to her. The Spirit sustained her and protected her and provided for her all of her days. And she never, she never strayed to another place to see if God was somehow holding something from her. 
God was enough. God was enough for her. And she knew, she assumed that if God rescued her when she was lost, that he would come through on what he promised to her and to his people, that he would come to his people. And then one day, God did. It's as if she knew God would come for us because that's what God always does. He comes for his kids. So she took what God had said as true and believed it before it had ever happened. She believed in the promises of God. Anna was expectant, and she lived with a peaceful certainty. Uh, So often in life, we set ourselves up as the people of God for frustration. Uh, We are so full of hope and anticipation for what we think life will bring and what we hope life will be like. And it seldom, it seldom plays out the way that we want it to. Uh, We all face some measure of disappointment in life. If you have not, you will. I'm (laughs) I'm not talking about seemingly small and insignificant disappointment. I'm not talking about going to a movie and going, well, I expected more. I'm not not talking about like going to a restaurant and trying a a new meal and going, oh, I'm so bummed I didn't get my my, my old standby. I'm talking about real, honest-to-goodness disappointment. I'm talking about disappointment that comes when you have hopes and dreams for what life will be like and uh, they are, are shattered. I want you to know in your disappointment that there is hope. There there is a God in heaven who understands and who knows. There is a God who is kind and merciful and full of grace, who enters into your pain and lovingly cares for you in profound and deep and significant ways. In God's economy, today's faith is fueled by God's faithfulness yesterday with an expectant hope for tomorrow. And so Christ's point, as we follow Christ, may our lives be marked by a devotion to God who is faithful to his promises. May we worship through pursuing the spiritual practices. May your life and mine be marked by gratitude and boldness. And when we face the unexpected disappointments in life, may we lean into a God uh, who knows us and loves us. May our disappointment uh, drive us to God. And in those moments, in those seasons, in those years, may we find God uh, to be sufficient for us. Would you pray with me? Father God, we give you thanks today. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that 2,000 years ago he came and he entered into our pain. He offered us words of hope and and life. He spoke truth. Lord, thank you for the way that you uh, change hearts and lives for all of eternity. Thank you for the examples that we see in Scripture of of imperfect people who uh, live bold lives and courageous lives for you. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, the life of Anna, for her uh, devotion, for her commitment uh, to prayer. Thanks for her her boldness in telling other people about you. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning that, uh, that if there's anyone here this morning who is experiencing pain or disappointment this Christmas season, that you would be gracious and kind to them. I pray that you would meet them in their need. 
If there are people who are far from you, who do not have a relationship with you, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would pour faith into their hearts, a stir in them an affection for you. Uh, give us hearts for you today. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen.